This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a heroic and heartfelt life. So I'm gearing up for a really good fall 2017 for the podcast. I just got back from Plantstock, run by Engine 2, up at the Esselstyn Farm in upstate New York, and I met doctors, documentary filmmakers, researchers, venture capitalists, really cool folks, and I got a whole bunch of them to say yes to appearing on the podcast in the coming months, so I'll tell you more about that as things shake out. I'm also really happy to let you know that I'm up to $355 a month in patronage on Patreon, which is more than a third of the way to my first stretch goal of $1,000 a month. And I was thinking about this recently because I really value the freedom that I have in this medium to evolve. When I look back at my early podcast, it was almost all cookbook authors, and I was really into recipes and ingredients and cooking And as I have changed and grown, I've focused much more on health aspects, on much more holistic aspects of health. And, you know, with the uh, partnership with Josh Lajani on running and discomfort, and you can see the breadth of my interests have really shifted and changed. And if I was just being, you know, sponsored by Vitamix or or a cookbook publisher, I probably wouldn't have even tried to go there. But having the freedom to tackle whatever I want uh, without worrying about losing my funding source is, is really wonderful. And so the, uh, the Patreon thing where people can, can uh, contribute a dollar a month, $6, $18 a month means that if a few people don't like what I'm doing and they leave, it's not such a big deal. And that's uh, particularly useful for when I go into topics that I really haven't covered. Like I really have not done a lot around animal welfare and animal rights. And it's not because I hate animals, but it hasn't been my scene. And I've had traditionally a lot of issues with the way um, some mainstream vegan organizations and vegans that I know have kind of turned people off with their, um, well, (laughs) judgmentalism and making people feel not so good who are not where they are yet. And so honestly, I've shied away from that. And it's been fairly recent in the last, say, three to six months that I've really started feeling the ethical impetus toward a plant-based diet as strongly as I have felt the health impetus for, for a really long time. And so today's interview goes along with that. Um, my guest is an incredible human being. I'm not going to go too much into his story because it's out there for you on a couple of amazing TED Talks and in this interview itself. His name is Damien Mander, and he was a professional soldier, a sniper, a a, a hostage recovery specialist, uh, a clearance diver, which is the Australian version of Navy SEALs. And he spent many years, 12 tours of duty in Iraq um, as, a, as a private contractor. And during that time, he amassed a, a fortune, as a, a soldier or fortune can do in, in war zones where there's a lot of money being spent on outcomes. 
And by 2008, when he had finished, he really didn't know what to do with himself. As he put it, he had a really shitty skill set for normal society. All he knew how to do was, was wartime things. I'll let Damien pick it up from here, how he went from soldier to one of the most important conservationists on the planet and a, a fierce defender of animals, lover of animals, and someone who has Jane Goodall on the board of his organization, the International Anti-Poaching Federation, and how his change of heart came about and how he challenges each of us to raise our own game to protect these innocent creatures and to create the world that we want to live in. So without further ado, Damien Mander, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Howard, mate, thank you uh, very much for having me on today. Yeah, so just, uh, let, let's let, let folks know where you're calling in from. Give us some context. Mate, uh, I am calling in from Victoria Falls in the lovely Zimbabwe. So uh, uh, first got based over here in 2009 and have been moving around the region, but uh, this is where I've... Uh, set up shop now, mate, and as they say, home is where you dig it. <laughs> right. So let's let's begin just with a general introduction. I'm guessing that, um, that a lot of folks have seen your two TEDx talks, but um, let's you know let's start with you. You founded an, or, an international organization, the uh, IAPF, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so tell tell us what what that is and and kind of what you're up to. So the IAPF, or the International Anti-Poaching Foundation, is an organisation I set up in 2009 uh, after travelling through the southern half of the continent, uh, working with rangers who were stationed out here on the front lines protecting animals and seeing the, uh, the huge gap that existed between what I experienced as a soldier uh, and a special operations uh, um, uh, soldier and, and, and spending time in Iraq and seeing the the budgets that governments are willing to put towards uh, uh, these you know, the wars that we're fighting in the in the Middle East and and you know I was over there fighting for resources in the ground and, and dotted lines on a map and uh, and uh, I came over here and I saw these guys fighting for the heart and lungs of the planet and all the animals that inhabit these massive ecosystems and you know whereas I had anything I wanted in the military. Uh, and working within a half trillion dollar budget at the time uh, as part of that operation over there, and uh, and coming over and just seeing you know, a lot of guys out here didn't even have boots, uh, ammunition to put in the in the magazines to go out there and, and face armed uh, insurgent like poachers, uh, people that didn't even have the right uniforms, and uh, you know there's just a huge imbalance. So I don't love the the drones that patrol the skies in the Middle East, the defence budgets we used to have or, or, or all the equipment I had as a, as a soldier. I only love what a fraction of that could do for the, the people out here on the front lines. And uh, yeah, the IAPF was, was set up uh, with a mission of wildlife conservation through direct action. So we go out there and work with rangers. Uh, we help build strategies for these guys uh, working in some of the most hostile areas on the continent. And we give them what they need to hold up the last line of defence for animals. Hmm. So, you you come to this from a from a background in the military, and you know your your story is so fascinating because you're 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 such a man of of peace, and you're also you know born born and bred of the military, and you haven't renounced the military 
tactics and strategies and tools, even as you become a man of peace. What was what was what got you into the military in the first place? Like way way back in the day, what attracted you? Yeah, I I, uh, I used to get up as a kid, really young, uh, you know, just you know, thirteen years old, and I'd go down to the local pier. Um, where the fishermen used to fish overnight trying to catch calamari or squid, and I would dive down there, free dive down there, and collect all the fishing lures and come back up and, and, and sell them back to the fishermen. And I actually saw that this was, you know, quite a lucrative you know, business opportunity for a 13-year-old entrepreneur. And went and got a heap of shopping trolleys and threw them in the water, and then went and stole a heap of rope and wrapped them around the shopping trolleys, and then all of a sudden people kept losing more fishing lures. And I started making more money. And... Uh, <laughs> And I thought I thought I was just running a great little business at the time. I was actually preparing myself for one of the hardest military courses on the planet, and that was uh, uh, entry into the Australian clearance diving branch. Uh, so I, I, I ended up joining uh, the Australian Clearance Diving Association. Uh, so what is clearance diving? I'd say that's that's our version of your seals, Australia's version of of, of your seals. So we we do a, a wide range of of different tasks. Uh, one of them that uh, that branched off after September 11 was um, the counterterrorism role. And Australia stood up what they termed the first and last resort for a terrorist attack on home soil, and that was the tactical assault group. Uh, and after all the selections, there was a, around 50 men left, and those men formed formed the first ever uh, a TAG East in Australia. And uh, I went into that unit and became a sniper and uh, eventually went off to Iraq uh, working over there as a, as a private contractor and working uh, with, you know, as, a, as, a, as an advisor and a specialist with the U.S. military and uh, did a, a dozen tours there uh, over the years and uh, finished up like a lot of people that, that finish in the military or finish in, at, in the, going into these conflict zones. Uh, for a lot of guys out there, the, the war doesn't truly start until the bullets stop and you come home and try to reintegrate back into society and... Yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, it, it, it's tough. You know, you're trained up to, you know, these elite standards. You're working with an elite team that, that surrounds you and, and is more concerned about lo- your own welfare than you are about your, about looking out for yourself. Uh, and you just form the most incredibly tight and trusting team uh, that you're ever a part of. And you've got a very specific task uh, to go out there uh, and achieve your missions on a daily basis. And uh, you really have purpose. And then it stops, and uh, you know it's really tough for for a lot of people that have you know some of the most highest levels of training uh, imaginable, and 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 all of a sudden, the purpose for which way they were they were created uh, is 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 taken away, and you know, I ended up in South America traveling around trying to piece together my life and, and what to do with. I mean, essentially, what is a shitty set of skill sets that I've got? You know, not not really useful uh, in normal society, and uh, and I, I found I found a use for those skills, and that was in protecting animals. And yeah. um, you know, the, the, yes. yeah, sorry, mate, go. Yeah, it's 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 so interesting because we started this conversation where you were kind of, you know, denigrating your reasons or the, the reasons for these wars. You know, resources in the ground and dotted lines on a map, and yet at the same time, you you felt a sense of purpose that that most people don't feel. So the, the sense of purpose must have been very sort of intimate, as opposed to we have this we have this larger purpose within the war effort, right? It was just me and my group helping each other out and accomplishing the task in front of us. 
Yeah, exactly. No, very specific tasks about what needs to be achieved and uh, going out each day and, and, and staying alive was was the first task and then uh, and whatever was thrown at us. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, my, 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 where I was, the person I was or the person I, was, I, I grew up as, has changed significantly uh, over the years. And you know, I, I, I was a hunter and, uh, and the worst type of hunter, the hunter that killed for fun, not for, uh, not for food. And, um, you know, I, I, I grew up having, you know, very little respect for wildlife or the environment or animals. Uh, you know, we had a dog and that was about the extent of, of, of my love of nature. And um, just, I don't, I don't know what it was, man. I mean, Iraq, I think Iraq... Uh, affects anybody that goes over there and sees sees what's happening, and it affected me seeing what was happening to the the local people, the local population, and people just trying to live their lives and, and having that that life destroyed. And you know, slowly this this facade that I had around me, you know, this macho facade, which mostly bullshit, uh, slowly getting thinned out and broken away uh, by seeing all that stuff, and then you know, really strong in, in internal contemplation and examination of you know what what am i here for on this planet when it was all over and and then getting involved with animals and i i came i came to africa i wasn't looking for a cause i was looking for a fight and just like I, I didn't join the military to serve my country i did it because it was adventure and i didn't go to iraq to try and help the situation i went there to make money and so you know when, when i arrived in africa it was going to be six months uh you know adventure run around the bush hunt some poachers and then move on to the next adventure uh, you know the next place that i could demonstrate mm. uh yeah how, how brave i might be or or, right. or how macho so i am yeah. at, at that point it might you might have been you know taking a gig with poachers as as, as much as against them like there was no where, or, you know, you know where was there the no going to come from yeah i mean i used to poach mm-hmm. used to poach in australia I used to go out and illegally hunt uh hunt deer uh, so, you know, I, I know what it's like to be a poacher. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know what it was. It was. Seeing these animals over here in Africa, um, it affected me in a way that uh, Iraq didn't affect me. I don't know why. Maybe it was just that gradual breaking down of, of this facade over time that allowed me to start opening up my, my eyes and seeing, you know, the capacity for animals to suffer. Uh, you know, I, I realized very quickly that there, there was more to me being here in Africa than just running around the bush for six months having an adventure, seeing the hard work of these rangers. They dedicated everything in their li- lives to be out there uh, on the front lines uh, de- defending nature with their own lives. Yeah. And, he, you know, for a very small salary, and here was me trying to have an adventure on the, on the back end of their hard work, and that, that, was, that was wrong. Uh, and, and the second were, part... Were the, the, second were the part rangers... Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Were, were, were the Rangers the first group of of people who were like you in terms of you know sort of putting their lives on the line as warriors who were fighting for some for some obviously transcendent cause? Look, they re- they reminded me uh, of the focus that I had when I was in in the military uh, and the groups we were, we're you know, we were part of. Uh, I mean, you could have told us to do anything in the military and we, we were programmed to do what we're told and we're very good at doing that. Uh, and the Rangers were the same, but they had, a, they had a higher cause. They had a higher cause and that, 
I mean, these guys could be out taking other jobs and getting paid more money, uh, but they they chose to do this, and they, they chose to do it for for a small salary, and they, most of them do it for life. You know, 30, 40 years of being out there switched on in, in an environment where the biggest threat is not the not the armed poachers you're trying to stop. The biggest threat is the very animals you're trying to protect. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it very quickly, uh, you know, became a reality that this was there was much more to this than, than just spending six months here. And, you know, I, I, I put my money where, where my mouth was. I, I sold everything I had, every, every cent uh, from every house that I'd acquired from my time in the military, my time in Iraq, and uh, I put it towards starting this organization. So when, when you were starting to, to realize that your, you know, your thrill-seeking was, was sort of cheap and bought at the expense of these people's um, yeah. life, you know, lives, did, like, what, what were the conversations that you, you were having? Did you, did you sort of you know, ask them point blank, like, why are you doing this? It's, it doesn't make any sense. Or were they, were they sort of you know, indulgent with you or schooling you? Like, I, I, I'm trying to imagine that scene in the movie where you start yes. to, to unpeel the facade in a in a powerful way can you can help, help me see that yeah i mean i'm out there living with these guys in the bush uh and experiencing the hardship uh alongside them you know being part of their unit and their hardship was much different to the hardship we had in, in our, our our militaries you know our militaries it was, it was like a an imposed hardship you know we need to train uh, as hard as possible, so we are the best. Uh, whereas the guys in the bush out here are not only training and operating in, in, in very difficult uh, environments, but they're actually living in it. And there's there's no change for them. That is that is their entire life. In the military, I could go and leave. I'm going to take some time off, take a vacation, go and sit, you know, spend some time in a nice hotel or in a nice swimming pool, go to a nice bar, go to a nice restaurant. These guys don't get that. Okay, They are there right now out there in the bush uh and not just in africa not just in zimbabwe all around the world doesn't matter what you're into you're watching national geographic uh channel reading the magazine uh coming on safari to africa uh anything in the world where that has anything to do with nature it all comes back to the one group of people on this planet that are actually responsible uh for the survival of these ecosystems and that is rangers uh, and without them the, the natural world would be lost. What, what are their motivations? Because I know a lot of them, you know, come from, from communities where there's, you know, there's, there's economic hardship and yeah. maybe the poach, you know, maybe some of the poachers are people that kids they grew up with, right. Who've just taken yeah. a different, a different approach. What, what, what makes them, you know, get up every morning and, and keep doing this? Is it a, a love of animals or of, of Africa or some other ethic? Like what drives yeah, them? Uh, d- different things drive different people. Some, some people like the challenge. They're protecting something and someone else is trying to take that away from them. Some want the, some want the paycheck. Uh, some, some are uh, intrinsically um, have, a, have a higher level of awareness and they, they're there to protect animals and protect protect nature uh some are have have been born into a family that has been involved with tourism or being involved with conservation for a long time and um ultimately what what our job to do is is to recognize and understand why people are there in the first place but to give them a very deep understanding that's 
that's, that's ingrained over a long period of time that their job is the most important job in the world. And we need them to, to feel like that and to understand that because I, I truly believe their job is the most important in the world. I mean, what, what, what is more important than protecting the natural world uh, with your own life? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of a... I mean, we've been given one backyard as an international community and we treat it like a, a fucking garbage dump and there's this one group of people on the planet who... I mean, it's the only group of people on the planet that give up every single thing in their life to be out there and and uh, and, and representing an international community and its protection. And I, it's very hard to be truly inspired uh, in today's world. There's a lot of there's a lot of bullshit everywhere. Uh, uh, these guys do it for me. They they really truly inspire me. And the opportunity to support them and make their their job and their life a little bit easier uh, in the, in the difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, tasks that they've been given, uh, you know, that's a great opportunity and a great privilege for me. When, when you decided to liquidate everything and and put all your resources towards this cause, you know, I, I'm a typical sort of, you know, suburban American civilian. So my my vision of your life before is like, you know, from a few Jason Bourne movies yeah, where, you know, you've got your, um, your houses around the world. Each of them has like a, a fully gassed jeep and you've got passports and and it's almost like i'm I'm picturing these as as kind of various escape hatches for for whatever sort of difficulty (laughs) so you know giving all that up was it simply like should i understand it as just you know you liquidated your assets but you could always make more or was this like um like burning the ships before you know as you as you land like what what did it mean to you to do that liquidation I remember watching my, you know, my own personal bank account going down and, and having a sense of relief uh, because I knew once that, that figure hit zero that I would have no other choice but to seriously figure out in a very short space of time how to make this work and make it work properly. And, uh, and we did that. There's no greater motivation than, than hunger and hunger mm-hmm. comes from a, an empty bank account, man. And... Uh, you know, when when I when I'd spent every cent uh, and made some mis- mistakes in the way I spent it, uh, I learned some lessons. I like to think of them as school fees. You know, I didn't go to university, but I, I, I've gone to the university of life. And uh, and uh, you know, getting involved with it. You know, I got no business background or anything. Uh, so so eight years ago when I started this, it was you know literally I, I arrived in Africa with a set of boots and and, and carry on luggage, my backpack. That was it, and a one way ticket. So I. I I didn't know how to run a, a charity or a not-for-profit organisation. I had to figure all that out as we go along. You know, how to write a legal document, your mission, your objectives, how to put together a, a poster for fundraisers, um, a project proposal for government, a budget, uh, reports for donors. I uh, had, had, had to learn how to public speak. I'd never done that before. I had to give a, an interview to a newspaper, a radio station, a TV camera. Uh, had to, had to live and work in the African bush with lions, uh, with elephant, with rhino, with buffalo. Uh, how to wake up and, you know, you know you've got snakes and scorpions, deadly scorpions in your house. All that sort of stuff was a massive uh, learning curve for me, and I'm, I'm still learning. Uh, but, you know, we've built a robust organisation. It's now registered in, uh, in, in five countries. The six on its way has been registered in Germany now. Uh, we've supported over 50 uh, projects in the field as well as running six of our own major campaigns. Uh, we've just been given the, the GuideStar Platinum Level um, uh, 
rating. And GuideStar is an independent charity evaluator. It determines how effective we are with uh, other people's money and fulfilling our mission. Okay, so 0.5% of charities uh, uh, achieve that highest status of, of platinum level. Uh, we've got the likes of Dr. Jane Goodall, uh, who sits as our, our patron on our, on our advisory board. We've been on 60 Minutes a couple of times, National Geographic magazine a couple of times. So we've, we've come from literally nothing and grown up uh, over time, over the last eight years, and become a, a, a real power player in the, in the, the conservation movement. Mm-hmm. So aside from the money that came from from all the liquidation of your assets, what did you feel like you could bring that that the the poaching um, efforts didn't already have? I bought a I bought a fresh set of eyes uh, to conservation. There's a lot of people that have been involved with with conservation here for for many decades and done a fantastic job. Uh, you know, I, I have the the luxury, uh, I suppose I call it, of coming from. Uh, you know, current conflict, uh, you know, current uh, special operations units where you can see some of the tactics and equipment that are being used and, and try and adopt some of that on the ground here in Africa. Uh, it's, you know, not everything we've tried to put it, put in or implement has been perfect, uh, but, you know, some of it has, has been uh, you know, significant. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I, I think too, you know, for me when I started in this, I was 29, and I think you know, experience is a, is, a, is a really critical thing, particularly uh, if you're managing big projects and, and, and growing organisations. But it's something has got to be said about the enthusiasm of youth, <laughs> and I, 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 don't, I don't know if it was my age or if it was the purpose that I found in, in this, but. I don't, I don't work. I don't work for a living. Um, this is not a job for me. This is a passion. It's something I've, I've, I never, I never get out of bed in the morning. I'm like, shit. I've got to go to, I've got to go to work, or I've got to go out and do this today or that. It's, it's, it's not that. You know, I'm, I'm involved with supporting something that's much larger than me. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm driven and I've got purpose, and that's. Yeah, I think that's a that's a beautiful thing to find. There's a lot of people, you know, it's particularly a lot of people that come out of the military that don't have that purpose or struggle to find it. I always knew I'd find it travelling. I, I had no idea it had anything to do with animals or the environment. Uh, it's just where I landed, and I'm I'm, I'm grateful for that. Mm. So let's let's talk a little bit about poaching. So you know, my family and I we spent a year in South Africa, 2011, 2012. So you know, we got to see these amazing, beautiful animals, and we would hear stories um, and, and see images. But what what is you know for someone who's not thought about this much, like what's the what's the state of African wildlife regard you know regarding their their health, their their numbers, and what are po- what does poaching have to do with it? Yeah, so I mean, us as an organisation, we focus on protecting the hardest animals to look after. The hardest animals are elephant and rhino, and the reason they're the hardest to look after is because of the value of their horn. In the case of a rhino, uh, around thirty-five, forty thousand US dollars a pound, uh, and a rhino can easily have thirty pounds on it. Or in the Wait, case, say that, of, no, say that number again: thirty-five to 30, forty thousand dollars a pound. Correct. Yeah, and you can have twenty to thirty pounds on a rhino, no problems. You can have five or six rhino in a herd. No problems. So these things should be locked up in a safe, not running around in the bush. Uh, the, sec- the second uh, high-target species that we like to refer to it as is, is elephant, and the value of its tusk. Uh, you know, somewhere between three hundred and fifty and five hundred and fifty thousand elephants are uh, around the continent. 
dying at a rate of around 30 to 35,000 a year. Uh, you can see that if, if something uh, drastic isn't done, uh, these animals are continue are going to continue marching towards extinction. Now, what we do uh, in developing strategies that protect the hardest animals to look after, these are animals that are being targeted by organised crime syndicates that use paramilitary tactics, uh, and that is where our, our skills are most appropriately deployed. When we develop these strategies and we get them right, there are millions of other animals in these ecosystems that get to survive, they get to live because of these, these key species, these high-target species. And that, 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 that is what really makes me tick. That's what, uh, you know, that's, that, that's my purpose. Is, so it's not just looking after the sexy animals and the ones that are on the posters and people get on an aeroplane to come over here and take photographs of, but it's the millions of other animals in these ecosystems that have the same capacity as a cow, as a chicken, as a human, as a rhino, as an elephant to experience pain, experience suffering. The same animals that, that have exactly the same want as you or I to build family structures and to have safety, to be able to live out their life uh, the way they were intended to. And so that, 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 is, that is our purpose as an organisation. That's my purpose as an individual uh, is to make sure the teams have what they, they need to be able to go out and lead those operations. Uh, rhinos, we're seeing a, 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 a rhino poaching war, and this is an animal that's hardly evolved for 50 million years a rhino poaching war that's been spiralling out of control for the last decade. Uh, one of our projects would be focusing on the uh, the Mozambique and South Africa border, which is home to around 40% of the world's remaining rhino, that area there. And we went in there uh, eight years into a losing war. Uh, and we were able to set up a ground-level offensive against an insurgency uh, that has had such a significant impact uh, in that area uh, and stopping poachers, seizing heavy calibre rifles and protecting rhino that for the first time in a decade last year we actually saw a, a regional downturn in, in rhino poaching and that was because of a collaborative effort there from multiple uh, agencies uh, that we were, we were a part of leading. Uh, it allowed Kruger National Park, home to, to up to 40% of the world's rhino, it allowed them to reappropriate their resources to their other, other more vulnerable flanks and that regional downturn last year actually led to an international downturn in rhino poaching. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, we, we don't appeal to everybody in, in the way we operate or, or what we do. We appeal to the people that understand that another conference uh, or another billboard uh, in Asia today is not going to protect one of these animals right now. Long term, maybe. But today, the only, the only thing that's going to save one of these animals is a good person with a gun standing out there in the bush willing to be between that animal and, and, and the poacher's bullet that's coming towards it. And that's a shitty reality, but that is the world we've created for ourselves to manage. Mm. So that, I've got sort of a couple, a couple of questions based on that. First, help me understand how the millions of other animals depend on these keystone species. People come to Africa... Uh, to see the scenery and to see the wildlife. Uh, now, they, 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 they had the big five here, of which the rhino and the elephant uh, make up uh, two-fifths. Now, when areas lose all their elephant, they lose all their rhino, the tourists stop coming. They go somewhere else. Now, when the tourists stop coming, the money stops coming in. When the money stops coming in, the anti-poaching unit stops functioning. The communities start coming in. They start poaching all the other animals. The fences come down. The wire is used in snaring of more animals. Eventually, there's no animals left. The trees come down. You have desertification. The rivers stop flowing. And you've got a, a barren piece of land. 
Okay, all the other animals in that piece of land have been killed. So that is that is uh, whilst there is no um, in, in my mind and in my conscience, you know, there's there's no difference here between a squirrel and, a, and, a, and an elephant. Uh, only the difference that we allow ourselves to, to financially allocate or in, in, intrinsically value. Uh, but in protecting those animals and going out to donors and saying, look, this is the flow-on effect. If we don't protect, say, elephant and rhino, everything else dies, then we can sort of put things in perspective uh, and make people realise how important it is to have well-armed, well-trained anti-poaching units out there. Because when we don't, uh, I've seen what happens when we don't. It's, it's, it's Everything gets killed. Everything gets killed, and when something new sort of wanders into that area, it gets killed very quickly. Uh, rhinos wandering into the area of Mozambique that we now uh, help protect had a life expectancy of 12 to 24 hours before we got there. They'd been declared extinct in Mozambique. We're now supporting, protecting the only population of rhino in that country. So uh, these, are, these, are, these, are, these are not the ultimate answers. I go to work every day accepting that, in knowing that what I do is not the ultimate answer. Uh, the ultimate answer lies in getting people on the other side of the world that want to be consumers in, in these products to not consume. We don't know how long that's going to take. could take five years, could take 500. There's organisations that specialise as much in marketing that are working on demand reduction in countries like Vietnam and China. They specialise as much in that as we specialise in uh, setting up ground, um, ground teams of, of rangers and going out there uh, against an insurgency. There are organisations that specialise in working with communities, getting them to a point where maybe one day they don't need to look at look at poaching uh, to, uh, one, uh, fund a, uh, a, a lavish lifestyle, which some of them lead, or two, at, at a different level, a subsistence level, putting food on the table. Uh, there's going to be 2 billion people on this continent by 2040, up to 6 billion by the end of the century. So how do you, how do you get those people to value a long-term preservation of wildlife? I don't know. But what I do know is that if we don't hold on to what we have left, if we don't stop the hemorrhaging, and by the time all these other organisations and entities that we work with and alongside have come up with whatever the grand scheme is going to be uh, on, a, on a, not a, a Mozambique or a Zimbabwe or a Southern African scale, but on a global scale, by the time they've come up with the master plan, there'll still be something left. If we fail... Okay, to acknowledge the true reality of ra what rangers need to be out there on the front lines defending these animals and these ecosystems. If we don't acknowledge that, there'll be nothing left. Mm. So what, what, what does uh, fuel the demand? What, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I have trouble believing that the actual properties of a rhino horn are worth $40,000 a pound. I guess there's a lot of mythology or folklore or, or traditional remedies like what what are people paying that amount of money for they think so in in your mind and, and perhaps even in mine it may seem a little crazy that uh, someone in asia wants to cut the horn off a rhino and crush it up and use it in medicine however they have used uh forms of traditional medicine for as far back as uh, well particularly rhino horn as at least two thousand years other forms of traditional medicine for much longer uh, now, for someone who has grown up in a family, in a household where everyone believes in traditional medicine, whether it be plant-based or animal-based, uh, it's very hard for us uh, who come from a completely different background to come in and get up on our soapbox and say, hey, guys, we ran this thing through a lab and it doesn't work. Okay, and it's very hard for us to understand how someone who, uh, from another culture, could even perceive that something like rhino horn could have any value whatsoever. 
but it, to them it does, and I think we need to acknowledge that. So whether whether scientifically it does or it doesn't have any any uh, medicinal benefits in the mind of the person that takes it, it does. And if we fail to acknowledge that, then we fail to understand uh, just how um, dynamic the market can be there in terms of rhino horn. Now, I believe a lot of rhino horn is being stockpiled within the black market and trickled uh, into the market uh, at, a, at a slower rate than what demand actually may be, uh, and that is keeping the price very high. But uh, it, it is being used uh, as it has been used as far back as 2,000 years as a, as a, a form of fever reduction. Um, what is being marketed as now is this miracle cure oil, uh, cure, cure, cure oil for, from cancer, uh, to hangovers, uh, but it's also being used as a status-related good, and that is uh, it's the same as wearing a Rolex or driving a Ferrari. Uh, it demonstrates wealth, which is you know carries great importance uh, in you know, certain business circles uh, within countries such as Vietnam or China. Mm. So this this gets really complicated in terms of like who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. And, you know, in, in a sense, you've simplified it for yourself just to say, like, until we can figure all this out as a, as a human species yeah. on this planet, yeah. I'm just going to I'm just going to stand between these beautiful hunted animals and their extinction. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I, I had a couple of things on this planet when I came here. I had, I had money and I had skills uh, and money was needed to, to help the rangers and get this organization going. And the skills were needed uh, to, to to equip these guys uh, to go out there and uh, you know, have a greater chance of survival themselves, but also to protect the ecosystems they operate within. And uh, you know, I, I look if 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 the elephant and the rhino crisis is solved, I guarantee another species is going to move into that void. And as you get more and more people on this continent and around the world uh, piling up in these uh, larger communities, bordering on these natural wilderness areas, uh, you're going to have an increasing level of pressure uh, coming on these species and these these uh, these areas. Uh, tall offences and more guns uh, are not the ideal solution. I guarantee you, the, the the one thing I want in this world is to be out of work. But uh, at the moment, you know, you've got a. a you know, an increasing problem. Uh, it's not difficult to solve inside these wilderness areas. It's not difficult to solve. It just requires going back to basics and getting the ranger teams trained up to the right levels and having a good manager in place. Uh, where it becomes complex is outside of the wilderness areas, in the communities, across the across the ocean in Asia. That's that that is complex. I can write on the back of a bus ticket what it takes to protect these wilderness areas inside. Uh, it becomes complex outside. Mm-hmm. So, is, are, are there conflicts within the, the the Southern African governments in where you're working around? Because you know they want tourism, they they want to be seen as good global citizens, and you know are are they receiving you know billions of black market dollars that make it hard for them to to say no to to poaching or to or to, to fund the rangers appropriately? Yeah, look, I don't I don't think they're they're receiving. Uh, you know, huge sums of money, definitely not in the millions or billions, um, but there are certain people involved at certain levels uh, within particular countries, bearing in mind there's 56 different countries across the continent here, uh, each with their own uh, political uh, landscape, 
there are people that are involved in politics and are involved with poaching. And, uh, and Africa is, uh, is ripe with corruption. Uh, it's something that needs to be managed. Uh, coming to Africa and getting upset with corruption is like going to the beach and getting pissed off with the sand. It's there. <laughs> Expect it. Uh, you just need to learn how to manage it. And, uh, you know, I mean, some of the countries we operate in um, are better than others. Uh, but bearing in mind, we like to go to where the situations are worse. So that, you know, that, that also has a reason, you know, why some of the areas we're operating is as uh, hostile as they are. And it's often because uh, there's regional uh, political and economic instability. And, uh, you know, that's that's just the nature of the, the work we're involved with. We need to, need to go where the problem is worse. Mm. So one, one of the things I've been feeling during this interview is, is sort of my own privilege around being able to be totally outraged at the poaching. And, you know, even in my question about the way I phrased it about the medicinal uses, I could hear, you know, you sort of sort of g gently corrected me around not being feeling superior to people with traditional um, views. And you in your the first time I came across you and your work was the TED talk you gave in Sydney, where yeah. you, you started out by saying at the end, I'm going to ask you a question, which is why the reason I've come all the way here from Africa to Sydney to ask you this one question, and then you tell your story. And the end, you really took me by surprise by, by, say, by basically challenging the audience about why they eat meat. And yeah. the leap for me was, was staggering. What, what, you know, first of all, what, like, what got you to connect your own food habits of animals that are not yeah. wildlife, that are not endangered? In fact, you know, there's more of them than us. Like what, what, was, what was the thought process that got you to, to see the way you were eating as yeah. part of the same issue? I walked around in the bush for uh, a better part of four years protecting one group of animals and coming home and eating another one. And uh, I knew I was full of shit uh, the whole time I was doing it. And I came up with some of the most fantastical excuses as to why I could keep eating cows and keep eating chickens and going out and protecting rhinos. And, and uh, you know, eventually, eventually it was too much for me. I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't bullshit myself anymore, really. You know, what I was, what I was thinking and believing uh, and how I was acting were heading off in two completely different directions. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was um, denial uh, followed by uh, you know, ridicule, followed by violent internal opposition, followed by research, followed by acceptance, followed by action. And, uh, you know, there was, yeah, it, it's, it's, for me personally, it's the, the best thing I've ever done. Uh, in my life is the choice to go vegan. I don't even have to get out of bed and I'm doing the right thing by animals. Uh, that's, that's, that's the way it feels to me. It's like a huge weight, a huge uh, burden got lifted off, off my shoulders. And, uh, you know, so I mean, my, my passion is actually not anti-boaching. My passion is motivating other people to care about animals. So I've just, you know, this is the tool I've got to actually put 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 my skills and and uh, our teams into action in the field protecting animals. Uh, my other weapon is my mouth, and talking to people about uh, about my transformation, my change, because I was a shithead to animals, 
you know, the, the, a really bad person to animals. And I think my, my, my point of difference to a lot of people, um, you know, this, this, this war that we're fighting on behalf of animals, you and me and, and everyone else out there, it takes all, all different people of all different shapes and sizes. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I can stand there and I can talk to a hunter. I can talk to, to, you know, some of the worst cases out there because I used to be one of them. And I think if I can demonstrate change, uh, open up my my heart and my conscience uh, to animals and their desperate need for protection in all aspects of life, then uh, then I think anybody uh, is, is open to change. So, yeah, you know, it's... it's it's um, you know, these animals are animals are just innocent creatures, man. They don't, they 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 deserve protection on so many levels. And us as a species, us as a society, us as one out of five million uh, uh, species on this planet, we're the only species that has the the power to determine what level of suffering uh, is acceptable for all other all other animals to endure. Uh, we should be protecting them, and particularly us as men. You know, men, men are men are perceived, and 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 we tell everybody that we're the strong ones and uh, the protectors, and uh, we should be protecting uh, animals uh, up there with it, with everything else that we we proclaim to use our strength uh, for looking after. Animals are, are up there with the most vulnerable in society, and um, yeah, it's. Um, it's not everyone's cup of tea because it makes people feel uncomfortable. The same way I used to be uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable because it challenged the truth. It challenged something that was uh, an inconvenience to my habits. And uh, you know, once once I realised uh, or accepted how full of shit I was, it was um, it was a pretty quick transformation. Uh, you know, and a, and a really uh, enriching and and enlightening one for me. Mm. That's weird. I'm, 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 I'm sort of telling this story in my own mind, like trying to understand how you went from, you know, the, the self-described shithead that you were to animals um, to, to someone who could see their, their innocence and their, their beautiful nature. It, it almost feels like you, you had to do that to yourself. Was there, was, there, was there part of that, that you had to kind of see your own innocence, even though you had spent a life as a at war as a as a mercenary as a sniper that you that you could that you had to like return to to some beautiful primal sense of yourself or did that come later or i think i think i think life for all of us is a a journey of of self-evolution you know you 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 cut away the bits that don't work uh or grow out of them and, and keep the bits that do and i think that's that's all i've been trying to do is uh you get rid of the bad stuff and keep the good stuff. And, uh, you know, this, you know, I think this is, uh, for, me, for me, you know, I really, I have purpose, I have passion, I'm driven by this, uh, protecting, um, you know, not just animals out here in the bush in Africa, but the ones I choose not to eat. It's the easiest way to protect an animal, don't stick it in your mouth. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I, it, it just, you know, all the bullshit that you hear out of there in society, you know, I, 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 this animal's been ethically killed. There's no ethical way to kill something that doesn't want to or doesn't deserve to die. It's like me saying I ethically raped your wife. I drugged her first, so she didn't know it was coming. Just you know, because some animal, because some animal gets a bullet in the back of the head when it's not looking, just because it grew up in a green pasture, 
that's bullshit. We can't do this to animals. You know, and you look at the, I mean, the greatest cause of animal suffering on this planet is the meat industry. The greatest negative environmental impact on this planet that we have is the meat industry. It is helping to drive us deeper and at a, at a, at a more rapid rate into the sixth mass grade extinction on this planet for the first time in history. It's a man-made phenomenon. Uh, you know, we... You know, the, 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 the single greatest thing each one of us can do is to really uh, step back and assess what it is we put on our dinner plates because we are digging the grave of our species and of our generation with our own teeth. Hmm. So um, before I let you go, how can people find out more? How can they get involved? What are some ways that people who have been inspired to kind of reach out to you directly to support the IAPF? What, 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 can, what can listeners do? Yeah, thanks, Howard. I'm, I, I won't beat around the bush. Uh, we have people, uh, men and women, out in the bush that carry weapons uh, and are required to do the job of a soldier uh, on behalf of nature. Uh, these people, uh, we we uh, operating these people like a small army uh, need funding to keep these guys and girls out there in the bush to make sure they've got the right field equipment, uh, salaries, uniforms, rations, tents, vehicles, fuel, aircraft, canine tracking units uh, that cost money, and we need money. We I used to hate asking for money, then I realised it's not for me, it's for the animals and it's for the people. Uh, we don't ask people from around the world to pick up an AK-47 and come and spend the next 30 years living in a tent. We'll do that for you. okay? But what we do need around the world is an extended family of people that want to be part of this solution. These are not Africa's animals. These are a global asset. It's a global responsibility for us all to look after them. So no matter what figure uh, people can spare, whether it's the, the same as a cup of coffee a day, or you know, that maybe someone wants to put their hand a little deeper and, and you know purchase a vehicle, whatever it may be. We are appreciative of, of all and any contribution to the International Anti-Poaching Foundation. People can check out our website at iapf.org or just Google anti-poaching and they'll see us come up there um, uh, in, in, in one of the top pages there. So, um, yeah, that, that would be my, my one... Uh, primary request is that people become involved uh, with the financial side of the organisation and helping to drive these operations on the ground. The second one is we have a program called the Green Army where we have people from around the world that come over and live with our rangers for two, three or four weeks at a time, patrolling with them, uh, helping uh, these guys with all different aspects of their, uh, their daily job. And uh, you know, people get to see Africa and experience Africa on foot um, the, the, the other side of that two-way street is rangers understand that people around the world care about what they do and they're willing to get on a plane and come over and tell them about it. Uh, that, you know, that's, it's very important for the motivation and the morale of, of these guys. Uh, so, that, you know, that's, that's my two, two main requests. Uh, that or the third one, go vegan. I mean, the best thing you can do for the environment. So, <laughs> yeah, I imagine you probably got to... I'm probably uh, preaching to the converted out there today. That's... Um, Hope, of, hopefully not. Little... Hopefully, hopefully, this message gets shared yeah. beyond the choir. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope so. But yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate people's time as well. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of causes out there today. Ninety-five percent of of philanthropic funding around the world goes to humanitarian causes. 
95% pushed into looking after one species. Uh, the other 5% goes to looking after the rest of the species in the entire natural world. Uh, so we've already got a small slice of the pie to be uh, playing amongst, but, um, you know, we, we make it go a long way. Yeah, it's funny. Yesterday I was interviewing uh, Will Bonsall, who's a kind of the, the opposite of you in many superficial respects. He's sort of a, a hippie, back-to-nature homesteader, and yeah. he has been self-funding something he calls the Scatter Seed Project, which he's saving seeds and plant stocks of, of plants that are going extinct. That, yeah. you know, these these different okay. varieties, and it feels very much like the same thing. Like these, you yeah. and your rangers, and he and and his seed savers, yeah. are, you know, you both have a vision for what yeah. the world could be like. And if you aren't doing this stuff on the ground right now, however you can, there, we aren't going to have the the building materials to create that beautiful world in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, it's. Um you know, I went through a couple of a couple of years of despair there, just thinking, you know, is, this is all lost, and what's the purpose here, and you know, what am I doing? And now it's 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 actually magnificent. You know, yeah, we we have uh, you know wars that are being lost, uh, you know, wildlife wars that are being lost in certain places around the continent, but some that are that are really being won. And a good group of rangers is able to protect one of these entire ecosystems, and within that. Millions of animals get to live out their life, and uh, you know the, the the situation would be much worse if we weren't all doing what we're doing. So, if that's any motivation for anybody, that, that the more they support, the more animals that get to live out their life. I couldn't think of a better reason to to, to support some of the organisations out there doing uh, whether it's uh, you know working in the communities or working out there on the front lines supporting rangers. Great. What's what's next for you? Your your uh... Uh, you're continuing with this work. Are there any, any things that you're planning or working on or, or looking yeah. to do yeah. in the next few um, months or years? Yeah, we, um, we're about to start um, phase two of a training program that will train 16 uh, anti-boaching instructors over the next two years. Uh, the flow-on effect of that uh, over the next two years will be the training of, of 1,440 rangers. So this anti-poaching ranger college goes to the heart of, of one of the biggest gaps in the conservation industry, and that is the good young leaders uh, that can go out and run these, these types of operations. The top priority in conservation now on this continent is law enforcement. If you can't protect an area, then we can't conserve it, and, and that is what we are missing in so many areas is the right leaders to run these operations. No such thing as, as, as bad soldiers, only bad generals. And uh, we just don't have enough of, uh, of the right people at the moment, not only within our organisation, um, but, but across the whole continent. Uh, a report that came out last year said 1% of philanthropic funding here is spent on leadership training. That means 1% has been determining how effective the other 99% has been utilised. And if we're getting it right as an industry, the situation would be much better. So that's... that's uh, our focus now um, uh, in in East Africa, East and Southern Africa, is, is training instructors. Uh, we've been working a lot on special investigations in Mozambique and South Africa, so that's actually going right up the food chain, going to the kingpins of some of these organised crime syndicates and, uh, and, and trying to dismantle and disrupt uh, their operations. Um, so it's, it's it, it, I mean, it's okay to be... Uh, getting all these guys on the ground, uh, the guys that are pulling the trigger and killing the animals, but uh, we want to go after their, their bosses, the people that are sending them out there in the field, the people that are paying them, the people that are trafficking in rhino horn and, and uh, uh, elephant ivory. And um, 
And this is, uh, these people are not poachers, they're criminals. Uh, they're involved with child prostitution, guns, drugs, and human trafficking, and, and rhino horn and, and ivory is just another currency for them. So that's, you know, we, we, uh, we are like a special operations of conservation. We are small groups of people that get big jobs done with minimal resources. And uh, you know, we, we like to go to the hardest hit areas and, and you know, we always uh, scoping new projects and, and finishing others. Uh, our, our job is to go in, stabilise an area, build a project up and hand that project over to uh, local stakeholders once capacity has been built. And it, it, to put it in a military sense, it would be like special forces coming in, stabilising a region and handing it over to the regular army. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Well, you know, you've, uh, you've spent your lives doing things that other people didn't want to do. And you know, the, the job in front of you right now is so important and it's so inspiring and there's so much heartbreak and hope in it that, uh, you know, it's been such an honor to, to get your perspective, to learn about you and your story. And I really hope that the listeners are going to dig deep because, uh, without, without this work as, you know, as distasteful as some of it might be to, uh, you know, comfortable suburbanites who can drive to Whole Foods and not have to think about it. Like this is this is the front lines of of the fight for our planet and for our for our humanity and for our our collective nature. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Howard. I appreciate the time, the platform, uh, and just yeah, chatting with you, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice. I know we're on a, on a similar wavelength. Yep, I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm almost speechless in, in just in awe of the spirit that has flowed through you and through so many people and, you know, your, your redemption and the clarity of, of your vision. And it, it, it's really helped me remember why I'm doing this too. So, Damien, thank you so much for all you do and for taking the time today and the, um, the links to, for people to find out more and to... Uh, hopefully contribute to the cause will be in the show notes for this episode. I really appreciate that. You know, we, uh, yeah, everything, uh, you know, we, we, we can't uh, change history, but we can rewrite the future for every animal and every ecosystem we choose to make a difference for. And uh, for me, that's more powerful than, than any, any sniper rifle, any uh, war machine or any defeatist notion that our individual efforts mean nothing. So why bother? So yeah, thank you very much. Right on. All right, go from strength to strength, Damien. Be well. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help us grow, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Big Change Program led by me and Josh Lajani, visit bigchangeprogram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to Damien's TEDx Talks and the International Anti-Poaching Federation at plantyourself.com slash 225. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 224 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the Big Change Bulldog, just go over to plantyourself.com and in the top right there's a sign-up so you can get my weekly-ish newsletter. Haven't done it. I've been traveling. Haven't done it for a couple of weeks, uh, but I will get back on track starting this week. Promise. So this episode has a transcript along with it, thanks to Kelly Michia. And if you would like to donate your typing skill, 
Drop me a line at hj at plantyourself.com and we'll find a really good episode for you to listen to and transcribe. And then those in the hearing impaired and deaf communities can benefit from the podcast as well as everyone who would like a written transcript instead of just having to listen. In garden news, the Austrian cowpeas are doing really, really well, but we have to shell them outside because of the weevils. We don't want them to find their way into our house and and do their damage there. And we've got a whole bunch of greens, three or four beds of greens that have just started to pop up. So I'm looking forward to lots and lots of strong green food over the fall, winter, and spring. In running news, I'm really sore today. I played in a four-game over 50-year-old Frisbee tournament in Princeton over the weekend and the team I played with, the Geezers, we, we lived up to our name, and I'm still trying to uh, get all the, the bones and muscles moving, moving properly, but I did do my, uh, my slow six this morning, which, uh, which felt good. So a couple of folks have noted that they get annoyed when I read all the names of the patrons, and they've suggested that I just read maybe the latest ones this week. Um, maybe I'll do that, but right now I still... Really, really, I'm happy to to say all these names, but I have compromised by putting them at the very end of the podcast. So if you're tired of hearing that, you can skip ahead, go to your next podcast, turn it off, whatever. But I still want to say all these names because you guys really are the engine and the fuel that, that keeps me going. So here we go. Thanks to Plant Yourself Podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Alan Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Dean Ahern, Jen Filinofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Lacerte, David Donahue, Blair Seibert, Dorona Vizov. <gasps> Gio and Carolyn Argentati to Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warabek, The Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Rhymes with Furry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Morton, Bonnie Lynch of Plant Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurtzals, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Car- <gasps> Teresa Copel, Shell Rutledge. For your generous support of the podcast. And thanks also to Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. Check out willridenour.com for more of Will's music. If you would like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write that iTunes review and you can become a patron of the show with an ongoing contribution, ideally, over at patreon.com slash plant yourself that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n or just go to plantyourself.com click on the patreon link on the sidebar it will take you to the same place if you contribute a dollar a month you get access to all the healthy habit huddles that i have ever done and as long as you stay contribute you'll get access to all the healthy habit huddles that i will ever do this past one was on self-criticism which i have found is a strategy that many of us use. We think we're using it to encourage and motivate ourselves to do better, but it's actually a really self-defeating way of thinking and speaking to ourselves. And so I talk about that and suggest some alternatives. That's it for this week. 
As always, be well, my friends. 